Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. There's a major documentary has been made by a Cork man about his brother to do with organ transplantation. Um, I'll come to that. But first, I was another thing I was delighted to see happen at the weekend or over the last few weeks was this new organ donation rule. This idea that all of us will be considered now to be organ donors unless we say I don't want to be an organ donor in fact just the other day and if I digress for a second we always talk about things that don't work in this country and that take too long and that you end up waiting ages for something simple please don't mention the passports I had to renew my driver's license uh, this week and I got a letter from the NDLS as you do to say that your driver's license is expiring and because I have a public service card I was able to go on to the MyGov you know this MyGov.ie thing and I was able to renew my driver's license and it took me precisely three minutes to renew my driver's license and it's in the post it's brilliant and things a lot of things don't work in this country but if you have a MyGov .ie and a public service card and if you have time if your driver's license isn't actually out of date I renewed mine online in three minutes flat I'm just waiting for it to come in the post so 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 things do work some sometimes but coming back to the change in the rules from now on unless you say once this goes through and gets stamped by the president and all that it will be assumed that you're a blood donor or sorry, an organ donor. It'll be assumed you're an organ donor unless you've said, I don't want to be an organ donor. Like your organ donor status is usually on your driver's license, hence the connection. But unless you say, I don't want to be, and you register yourself as, I don't want to be an organ donor, you, it'll be assumed that you will be. I think it's great. absolutely think it's great. What bothers me a little is the idea that your next of kin can still stop it. That bothers me a bit. I'll tease that out with you, Kevin, in in a few minutes. But look, Kev, um, as a long-time listener to this program, people will know this is very deeply personal to you. So I know it's it's a difficult one to talk about. So we'll start off with that in mind and, and, and thinking of what you've been through yourself and tell me as little or as much about it again as you want to. But do you think it, this is a good move? Morning. Good morning. How are you? Um, it's a great move, Um when this first happened, uh, when it was first reported the other day, 
just out of morbid curiosity, I just searched back. When was the first time that I mentioned this to you guys? It was back in 2016. Yeah. Uh, you were doing an interview with Jerry Bussemer at the time, and I chipped in with a comment about um, how if we moved to an opt-out system, we'd be joining pretty much most countries in Europe, and it would also you'd also have more organs available to transplant. But it's taken that long to progress this along. And mm. I think Jerry, Jerry was care of the health committee at the time. He was, he? yeah. yeah. And he was one of the first ones that I that I came across that pushed it, and it carried on, and it got pushed through, and it's finally passed through cabinet now, and it'll become legislation. It'll pass through legislation and all that, and it'll become the norm. And the initial reaction is going to be, um, you're going to have people who are who are like me, who are absolutely delighted, and if you've been down this road with someone in your family who is who needs a transplant, this is going to be manna from heaven for you. Um, but it's only as good as the support that's provided around this legislation. Mm. And that's something, you know, we'll talk about it in a bit. But the, um, the legislation itself, when it happens, is going to be a soft opt-out system, unlike uh, what you were discussing earlier on, or what your first reaction was the other day when you mentioned it, was, you know, it's my, I'm done, I don't need to take them with me, take whatever you like. Yeah, which if it's is, still working, it's yours, I don't mind. Yeah, it, exactly, it's my attitude as well. Uh, but your partner at the time can say no. And that's where the majority of countries are actually, is the... Mm. Is a soft opt-out system. And I have a problem with that, Kev. Go through to yeah. me why you haven't. I don't. And the main reason is uh, because when it happened to us, I was in absolutely no fit state to um, deal with anything. I, I couldn't... When the doctors came to us and said, that we've done all we can, we can't do anymore, we have to turn off the life, life support... And we slowly watch that process happen. That doesn't happen like in the TV when they, when they press the button and, you know, it goes like five seconds later and they're gone. This was your daughter, wasn't this it? This was my, my eldest daughter. Yeah. She would have been 30 this year. Okay. And um, she passed away in May last year. Where from um, She was waiting for a liver transplant. Mm -hmm. It would have been her second transplant. She'd had one. Basically, Kirsty was born with a disease called bilary atresia. And basically it means that your bile duct wasn't formed properly at birth. And the scarring that that, that caused, she had, to, she had an operation after about six weeks in King's College in London to correct that. But the damage had been done to her liver in those six weeks. So we always knew eventually that she would need a transplant. And the UK at the time, and still does in England, has a, an opt-in donor card system, the same as what we currently do have. Yeah. But eventually she had her first transplant when she got really sick and it was a case of, look, needs must, you have to have this transplant or you will die. And that was on the 30th of December, I think 2012, okay. memory serves me right. So she just turned 20 and she'd had her, she had her, her transplant and it didn't reject, which is the first fear, with, you know, so she come through the recovery process and she got on with the rest of her life. She got married, she had kids and we thought everything was rosy in the garden and then suddenly the liver did start to reject. Mm. And on the, it, was a, it was a calamity really of um, timing because it was right in the middle of COVID. Yeah. And it was, when I went over towards the end um, to London and I went, we were in the hospital in King's and 
I was talking to the nurses that were in there and they said, look, we're just not doing as many organ transplants as we normally would because of COVID, because the staff that they normally have in the ICUs for transplant centres, and King's College is probably the main one, they were dealing with COVID patients, keeping them alive, you know. Intubating people is not an easy thing, so... It was just one of those circumstances that happened, and uh, unfortunately, she died because uh, she couldn't get a transplant. Or she couldn't get a second one, <sighs> and um, that's where I mean, eventually, it came full circle. When when I listened to the radio the other day, and you know, this had finally passed. I thought, great, finally. But this law is this change is only as good as the funding that's put in place for the transplant coordinators, the transplant surgeons, the staff, mm. the beds, everyone. If, you put the, if they put the funding in place to fund this properly, you won't have a thousand people waiting at the moment like there are for kidney transplants. That will reduce. It won't overnight disappear. It's not a case. I mean, most people, when you die, you're not suitable for transplants. It's... The average don age of donors is between 40, uh, 40 and 47, I think, yeah. in or around that. So it's, it's, it's like if you're in your 70s and you die from natural causes, hot to hell, your organs aren't going to be fit for transplant. Yeah, are 70 say, years old. like Exactly. Yeah. They've yeah. had good wear and tear. You know, but if you pass away in your 40s, odds are the organs that you're having with you are going to be in good nick. Mm-hmm. But the other side of it, is, and the most important part of all of this, is to have the conversation with your next of kin of what you want to happen next. Yes. The reason being, like I said, when my daughter passed away, I was in absolutely no condition to do anything or to make any decisions. So if you're pre-warned and you're, you have that in the back of your head, PJ really wanted to be an organ donor. Mm-hmm. I, who am I to take this away from him? This was his last wish. This is why he wanted when he died, yes, do it. You know, and it's a decision that you made and she's giving your answer through her mm-hmm. or you're giving her answer through you. That's so much an easier conversation to have rather than, can you imagine, by the way, your, your partner is just passed away. We need to make, we need to ask you, would you consider your partner becoming an organ donor? You're, not, you're in no place to have that conversation. You really aren't. No. And you'll run over a mile away from it because you're dealing with what's in front of you, for of God's sake. It's the most impossible thing to have to deal with at the best of times. And then someone who's very well trained, who is really good at their job, is going to ask you the most insensitive inappropriate question. Yes. But in doing so... They have to save. ask it, but it's an, oh, there's no good time. There is no good time. The good times now. The good times tonight at six o'clock when you're having your dinner and you've had your dinner and lads, you're sitting around the table, okay, before you all run off to have your, you know, watch your TV and play on your PlayStation, we need to have a 20-minute conversation about this. That's the time. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 
Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's the best time. That's the only time to have this conversation is well in advance. Mm. And when you listen to someone like me on the radio rambling on about it, it's because I've been there, I've seen it, I've bought a t-shirt, and I don't want anyone else to buy this t-shirt. Yeah. You know, I desperately want people to, when they, because until this knocks on your door, you never have the conversation yeah. because you never need to. Just, just one thing on the next of yeah, kin, sure. Kev, and I'm, 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 I'm being as, as, as careful as I can oh, with you. Okay. I know how sensitive this is, mate. I know. Like the idea that yes, your your partner would or your next of kin would be consulted. There are there are households. Mine isn't one of them, by the way. But there are households where the next of kin might have a different view on transplants. That's, and that's absolutely fine. That, should that person have the right yes. to block another's wishes? Yes, because they still have to live the rest of their life uh, knowing that if they believe something that sincerely, that it would go against everything in their core belief to, to, to do that. I'm they struggling, still have Kevin. To I'm struggling with yeah, that, mate. I'm struggling with that. Yeah, I get it. Listen, there's only two countries I know of that have a real hard opt-out system. That's Austria and Singapore. Now, the one thing with Austria, they have this system, and it's like, you are, once you die, your organs are the property of the state. We're just going to take them, and then we'll tell you later. I, just I wouldn't like that either. But, exactly. I, I don't think that's the right way to go. I think this is exactly the right way to go. And it also gives the people who are, look, I don't want the state taking, you know, I don't want to donate my organs. That's fine. It's going to be, I'd imagine anyway, it's going to, someone will, down the line will explain exactly what the process is going to be, but I can't imagine it's going to be overly difficult to just opt out of this system. And in no way should that negate your ability to access transplants down the line should you need to. No, of course We're not, not monsters. Of course people not. are monsters. But at the end of the day, people have strongly held beliefs that you come into the world, you go from the world, and you take what's with mm. you. And that's absolutely fine. That's your choice. But the, the evidence is there that the countries that have the opt-out system have a higher rate of transplants and coupled with the better healthcare system you have, mm. the, more, the better the outcomes are. There's countries in certain parts of Europe that have the same system but don't have the infrastructure in the healthcare systems mm. in their country. So they don't have the better outcomes. Well, I was thinking about, Kevin, I'm sure you thought the same thing, and there are, and I was only, I was only listening to some of the names being used Saturday night at the awards ceremony. I was at in Cork Business Cork Awards, like the Kylies, Irish surgeons, Cork surgeons working across the UK, and it it drew to my head, Irish doctors, Australia, America, the UK, 
the, the, the Emirates, there are brilliant, brilliant, brilliant Irish doctors and nurses around the world. They should be here if this is going to work properly. It, this is the other side of it. If this is going to work properly, we desperately, people desperately want it to because the amount of conversations you've had this year alone that off the top of my head, I listen most mornings and I've heard these conversations of people who've had to go to Newcastle for treatment for their kids, for people who've had to go to London for transplants. We have the facilities in the country, in Dublin and Cork, mm. to be able to supply or to be able to do these transplants. It's not the 1960s and 70s where this... And we've sent the talent to the four corners of the world. Exactly. But it's not cheap. These... These surgeons are, t- are, are, are best in class. They are the top surgeons in their field and they earn accordingly. So if you want to do this in this country, you have to shell out and you have to pay them properly. You have to bring, if you're going to bring them back, they have to have somewhere to live. It's not a simple fix as we're going to pass this law and click everything is miraculously going to get better. A whole infrastructure has to be put in around this change to make it work. And if it does, you're going to have people who are sat in Mallow Hospital, in Cork Hospital, who are listening now, who are on dialysis for the next 8 to 10 hours, who are going to have their life back. That's the ultimate goal of That's this. It. You're going to have people who, are, who don't need to be on dialysis for any longer than they have to be. And in 5, 10, 20 years' time, opt-out is just going to be normal. At the moment, it's going to be contentious because there's other things around, other issues around this at the minute, but... In time, it will just be normalised, and it will be—it'll be just like any other any other change. That when it when it comes down the line, and you know you go, it's just a normal step. And when it happens, the organs that can be harvested—and it's a horrible term, harvesting organs. That's I hate what it. they say, though. Yeah. But you can change, you can affect the lives of nine people. And in the case of a liver, a liver, an adult liver can go into four children. That's right. Because it's the only organ in your body that grows with you. And the life that you're giving back, for me, when my daughter had her first transplant, I, it's December 1st, I, I, and I get to send Christmas presents to my grandchildren. You know, it's, it's little things. It's little things like that that she's left behind that we'll treasure forever. Yeah. But it's because she was able to have this transplant in the first place. You know, it's, it, it's tough for us, obviously, but at the moment, I'd, I'd hate to have anyone needlessly be in the situation that we're in. Because there are organs going into the ground needlessly. Yeah. And, a lot, and a lot of it is down to the fact that even if they can take the organs... They don't have the facilities to be able to do the transplants. The timing for all of this is everything. It, it's not like you can keep someone alive for however long until a donor is ready. The coordinators are the most important part of all of this. And, you know, I just hope that in time we get to a situation where we don't have to export people to be to have transplants, that we have the facilities to do it here, and that we can be really proud of a healthcare system that does this because it will change lives for the better for the future 100% Alright Kevin I'll leave it there thank Thanks you very there. much and I know, Cheers, it's, I know it's a difficult one to talk about and I do appreciate it 0818 96 96 96 I, I'm disagreeing with Kevin um, about the idea that anyone should be able to cut in and say no actually I don't want him to have or to be a donor I know it's probably rare that anyone would do it but 
as I said the other morning, they're my kidneys, they're my lungs, it's my liver, it's my heart, they're my corneas. Um, although in my case, corneas are pure useless, but you know what I'm saying? Nobody, I don't believe anyone should have the right to step in and say, actually, no, not happening. Kevin reckons that's okay because a person might have to live with that, but they're not... The ne- with the best of respect to next of kin, they're not the next of kin's organs to donate or not donate. So in 1998, a man called Dermot Fenton from Glenville had a heart and lung transplant in London, uh, in the UK. And it was an enormous news story at the time. I remember working on the 96FM news desk at that time and that a man was flown out for a heart and lung transplant in the UK was big big news and Dermot is no longer with us unfortunately he passed away a number of years ago but his brother Pio has now put together a new documentary about Dermot and the transplant and the whole story Uh, and I remember it I do remember it Pio like it was Kind of like it was only yesterday morning. Good morning, PJ. Yes. So it was quite a remarkable story at the time. Um, Dar, who had been born with cystic fibrosis, had been kind of uh, getting along reasonably fine at various stages during his childhood and into his teens. Obviously, with, with serious bouts of illness from time to time, kind of long hospitalizations and with a reduced quality of life. Uh, but I'm he got to 28 when he would have been about 24. I was 19 at the time, I guess. He was definitely on quite a decline. He was on oxygen 24 hours a day, mm-hmm. which, you know, is an experience in itself. It sounds like an easy thing, but actually having a, an oxygen mask on your on yourself just to get up off of a chair is actually quite a limiting thing. And, you know, at that point, he had to make decisions about what, what, what lay in store for him. And one of the, the discussions he would have had with his medical team at that stage was whether a transplant was an option for him they would have deemed I guess PJ that that he was medically suited for one yeah and then it was a matter of figuring out if you were kind of psychologically suited to one and he made the decision around early 98 that look he'd nothing to lose by putting himself on the transplant list and I guess in November 1998 uh, the the opportunity came by for him to have the transplant he had it in London was it always going to be London because of the nature of the operation Yes, so back in 98, there was no real transplant centre for um, CF patients in Ireland. They were, there was a certain number of, of, of organs that were, done, that were available through the UK system at that stage. Mm. So he knew he was going to the UK. He'd had all his medical assessments over there in relation to it. And in fact, on the day that he was offered the heart and lung transplant, he'd just come back that day from London for his pager to go off later that night. The expertise was over there. I think the guy that worked on him was a guy called Sir Mike the Yakub who would be just world renowned. Um, so he got the call at half seven on the 20th November. So he literally had been in London that day, got yeah. back and the bleeper goes off and he's headed for a plane. This is it. And, you know, that I think highlights how sudden these things can come about. In his case, you know, there's no plan. You have to wait until organs become available. They become available. He and, and actually a couple of other people were alerted that they might be a fit. So 
we were living in Glenville, um, where my family still lives, and he basically had to get to London, Harefield Hospital outside London, by 11 o'clock that night. This was at half seven in the evening. And the protocol at that stage, PJ, was to contact the airlines and say, look, you know, I'm an emergency case. There was particular PIN numbers and codes and all this kind of thing. Mm. And on that evening, as he rang those um, airlines, they all had answer machines on. This was kind of before mobile phones and internet and all that kind of yeah, stuff, I yeah. guess, had taken off. So what transpired then, PJ, was that basically the um, Air Corps was contacted and their best option at that point was to contact uh, those that were operating the government jet, which was due to take off from Baldonnell to Brussels with Minister Tom Kitt on board. Mm. So... When they were notified, Tom Kitt was asked, you know, would you mind diverting to Cork? It's kind of a life and death situation, which it was. And he said, yeah, look, we can do this. So they landed in Cork. We got from Glenville into Cork with, with my brother. And, and both my brother and mum went on the plane uh, with Tom Kitt over to London, where he was transferred by ambulance then right. to, to Harefield Hospital. So it was all kind of, at the time, it kind of passed us by a little bit. Yeah. But the next day then it was in news headlines you know including night six of him and and and, and many more oh i remember it. working on the story myself and and remember that my colleague barry here knew the family as well so it was kind of very close to us we were all watching it and the, the operation went well and he was a changed man afterwards wasn't he Pio? Yeah, he was really, I mean, he, he went from, I guess, that store to a, a new lease of life, uh, even on the, the basic level of the colour of his skin, which was blue from that kind of oxygen deprivation to kind of a healthy pink. Um, there was that immediate transformation. Obviously, the, the, the transplant itself was a major operation and yeah. there was lots of kind of challenges around it for a period of three or four months after he was he was in hospital for pretty much all that time. But the, the lease of life was the thing that struck us all as being so, so uh, I suppose, readily within mm. him at that point. And it remained so for, for many times afterwards. You know, it's, it's interesting, actually, one of the things that kind of elongated the story back then was obviously the government jet was on one aspect of it. But I think TV3 went over and interviewed him maybe about a week after his operation. And right. um, he mentioned in passing that he had requested a pint of Guinness after waking up, which he did. Uh, he wrote it down, in fact, on a piece of paper because he couldn't speak at the point in time. And it, that, again, just took off as a whole buzz around, you know, just, I suppose, what do you look for when you look I remember it. You know? I do. I do. I remember that. So he came back home and whole new lease of life. He lived to be 41. He passed away when? 2016, wasn't it? Yeah, so the, the very end of 2015, so his funeral was on, on January 1st, 2016, um, and that was 17 years after the transplant. During that time, he would have kind of lived a good life. He did have a subsequent kidney transplant in about 2006, right. and he had other issues with, with, with his legs, including a, a, an amputation of a foot and stuff in, in 2013. Um, but he kind of got on with things. He, he used to do a bit with uh, boarding kennels. He was always active. He kind of he, he learned how to enjoy himself again. And I guess you know if you're going to get a, a new lease of life, you 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 know you have to um, make the best of it. You know. Yeah. The, the the importance of organ transplants, organ donations. We're talking about them this week in the context of an upcoming change in in the rules. But you know you're the brother of a man who benefited for, what, 17 years from a transplant. Did he ever find out where the organs came from? 
Um, n- no, in short, I guess so. There was some, I guess they they protect the privacy of people who donate organs, and it's quite anonymous. I, I guess he would have had some sense of some bit of detail, but he never really shared it with us. However, he picked that up. At the same time, and uh, you know, this is an, an odd part of his transplant. Kind of one of the more unusual things is at that point when he had a heart and lung transplant, he was able to donate his heart to a third person. Oh. And in the same operation, so she was a woman from the UK, she was around 48 at the time, and a few weeks after the transplant, they were both in the hospital, they hadn't met each other, they, they didn't really know each other existed, but they were in the hospital gym, they were just having a little bit of a, a kind of a chat on two bikes, kind of building up their strength, it's kind of the way it goes in transplant hospitals, and they got comparing notes, and within that experience, she realised that she had there's heart in her at that point in time. Oh, wow. So, was, so there was a benefit to two people by virtue of that person donating their organs, my brother in the first instance and this lady, Janet, uh, in the second instance. But then there was the incredibly surreal experience of two people, you know, up on bikes talking to each other where one of them previously had the heart that the other one now had. Um, I mean, it wouldn't be a thing that would happen, I'd say, more than a handful of times in the history of the world, you know. Goodness um, me. So it was a very, very unusual experience, you know. And, you know, when we're talking about the importance of transplants, the, 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 the second thing that's kind of interesting there, but 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 sad, um, was when I wrote about this about four years ago, a girl got in contact and she explained that on the night that my brother had his transplant, her own mother was in hospital in, in, in London and had been told that she might be getting a heart and lung that night. And it transpired that she didn't, that instead it went to a man from Cork. Uh, and that man from Cork turned out to be there. So this girl who got in contact with me didn't know that at this stage, didn't know who there was. Um, and she, when she got in contact, she explained basically that her, her mum died the following week. So oh. her mum died a, a week after my brother got his transplant. Again, it just goes to show just how challenging a space organ transplantation is how the the wins and the losses there's very little between them in very many ways and how i guess you know when when you when you have the opportunity to benefit from an organ transplant every instinct within you i think is to to make the best of it by virtue of 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 the the loss that maybe other people have experienced and he did there certainly did I, i think i may even have interviewed him subsequently when he was in great health he got the most out of of what he was given Absolutely, and brought great joy with it um, to his family and friends. Yeah. I mean, look, you know, we, we we don't talk about grief very well in this country, but um, you know, we we know what happens, and it happens to families every day of the week. But he's a loss that we'd still feel. Sure, loss sure. That you know, of course, the last few days again. Now while we're back talking about him, yeah. it's kind of um, been uplifting, and also you again, you just get the reminder of, yeah. of what you lost along the way. Why did you decide to to do the podcast, Peel? So, uh, I think you know, growing up with her, I knew that he was quite a character. So, you know, if his his way of greeting you, greeting you, for example, could be expletive laden. That would be just a way in which he would carry himself, a, a light kind of breeziness with it. And because there was so much kind of medical obstacles that he overcame, and and different kind of elements of color within it, I always kind of wanted to to, to share that story as as a, as a legacy for him. Um, I guess with that, then when when Leona got in contact and explained maybe the loss that she experienced as a four year old when her mum died the following week after her had his transplant, it just renewed within me that the message around organ donation also 
I suppose can't be repeated often enough. You yes. know? So I, I wanted to tell that story and um, honour both that lady who died, um, my brother, I guess, and indeed um, other people who have been affected by organ donation. I said this before, Pio. For me, if I'm not here in the morning, my instructions to anybody that knows me, if it's working and you can give it to someone, take it. Uh, that, yeah. that, that's me. Other people aren't aren't quite the same, but to a family like yours, who were directly impacted by organ donation, how important is it that people would think about that conversation with their loved ones? Yeah, I, I guess for most people, um, a discussion around this is notional. That's oh, what would happen if, and you know, when the time comes, would I? All those kind of hypothetical questions. For us, it was a very real situation. You know, my brother had a need. That need was never going to be met unless someone decided to donate their organs. And, you know, typically it's a family in distress, you know, in the most tragic of circumstances, having to make a decision on behalf of a, of a deceased loved one. And I guess, you know, we had 17 extra years with my brother. He got to meet nieces and nephews that he wouldn't have met otherwise. You know, we got to spend more time with him. And if those things aren't tangible... Um, to people then you know I'd, I'd wonder at times I mean in essence if you think about it if it was your own family that needed to benefit in this way would you hesitate and I think most people would say absolutely no in that in that regard from here on in once this new legislation comes to pass we'll all be considered to be donors unless we ask not to be is that a positive change in your view yeah, I, I think it's a complicated issue. I, I think the key thing here, though, is that, that people have the conversations within their family. So so like you mentioned, PJ, yourself, you know, you, you've talked to people about this and they're aware of your wishes. Mm. Ultimately, it's always the option of, a, of an ex kin to decide what to do at that stage. But if there's some indication that you haven't opted out and at least it, it gives someone who's making a decision in a difficult situation the basis by which they can say, look, they left themselves on the register to be organ donors, so you know why not yeah. um, honor that? You know, but I think the conversation with it is important, regardless. Um, sorry, the conversation around it rather is, is important, and that can happen today. You don't need to fill out anything, uh, any forms or anything like that to do it. So, but talk to people who are in your life who might have to make those decisions if if the time came in a, in, a, in a difficult set of circumstances. Yeah. Now the podcast was made by uh, News and went out on the air with them last weekend and will go out again on Saturday but then it'll be available on all of the major podcast platforms wherever you get your podcasts as they say and it's called A Man From Cork why that title? Yeah, so that's an interesting question. Um, uh, Leona, who got in contact with me um, to explain about her, her, her mother passing away a week after Daryl got his transplant, um, Daryl lived in her head as a man from Cork. That was the reference oh, nice. um, that she had to him because she didn't know who had got heart and lungs other than that it was a man from Cork. Um, so I guess it's kind of reflecting that is, is the reason for the title. It's a very fitting title. Pio, it's great to talk to you. I know it's been a difficult time for you revisiting this again. So our thoughts are with you and the family. And, and, and thanks for being with me today. Thanks, PJ. Thank you. Corks 96 FM. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. 
I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. 